1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
2: On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. I think it's really important to just understand that we are more than what we do every day.
3: Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah we see them, yeah we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please, yeah.
1: It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren.
3: And I'm Alejandro. <laughs> How are you, Lauren? Oh my goodness, it's been such a busy summer and beginning to the fall. And here we are in October. What is life? How are you?
1: I am doing well. Um, This semester has been kind of crazy for me. It's been all about producing. And I think I mentioned on here that I officially started my production company, Pathway Pictures. So I've started taking on producing adventures. And that's been a whirlwind. I think I have my hands in like eight different projects right now. And it's all very exciting. It's also like a little intimidating. I've been circling through some of our past episodes that talk about imposter syndrome, actually, because... You know, I think as women, like starting to ask for money and talk about what you're worth and what you add to a project, like some of those things are not um, natural to me. So, just learning more how to be like a boss of your company, which you also know through your publishing company, it's it's definitely new territory. But as we'll talk about in this episode, like following what I care about and following what I love is more important to me. So. I'm trying to get over all of the fear and also doing it.
3: Well, I'm excited that you're making progress with the the production company, but you also mentioned uh, having to make really important milestones on writing, right? I mean, you're working on your third right now, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's actually one of the things that I really love about Columbia's program is that I've now had my third feature almost fully written. The third could still use a little bit of work and you know, like, that's actually another thing that I picked up on this semester is that like, having an idea that you're excited about is so important. And this current idea that I'm working on, it's like, I want to talk about it all the time. And just like with whoever will listen. And it's not like something that I've always had with every project that I've been involved with before. And I almost feel like the ideas that you take on creatively, it almost has to feel like a new love, you know? Like, you want to be in the honeymoon stage with your idea.
3: Yeah, it's like a baby gestating. And I want to show you something that's so exciting on the writing side of things, too, because I got my proofs for my... (gasps) book, which will be published right before the end of this year. I
1: to- oh my God. Tell us about it.
3: This is Dream Babble. It's a collection. Of, it's based on really just dreams that I've written in a specific book. And I got into this practice of writing down my dreams immediately after I could remember uh, any detail. And what was cool was that this practice allowed me to remember my dreams more vividly when I woke up the next day. And I was also able to become more of an active agent in the dream state. So it was this really interesting cycle that perpetuated this lucid dreaming, this like astral projection. And um, I'm not trying to be a dream interpreter in this. I really just am putting what I remember of the dreams onto the page and seeing if there's any sort of connective thread that can be made among people who decide to tap in and read or share some of their experiences through dreaming.
1: So in the book, is it a collection of the many dreams that you've had or what's like the layout?
3: Yeah, it's it's strictly just a collection of what was in the dream state and that's it. I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to interpret anything or try to um, elucidate any sort of like a deeper meaning. I'm just putting it on the page, what I remember. And what's really cool is like, trying to balance between like writer and editor. It's, mm. it's, it's a challenge, but yeah. cool to just kind of like release any sort of inhibition and just put it out there. And it's just like, okay, like whatever, like it happened. Don't think about it too much. Let's just keep moving on. And I think that's one of the things that I really admire about our guest today, Angela, who is such an admirable multi-hyphenate, but also a really great example of being able to just kind of roll with the punches and constantly evolve and just like be fearless.
1: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And Angela and I met at an event for filmmakers, which is a wonderful collective of female filmmakers and it was amazing because at the time i was actually deciding whether or not i should go to columbia which is so funny because obviously i'm a year in of the program now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's very full circle and i remember angela who was also an actress before she became a wolf tie said to me that she had advice from al pacino himself that was to live a full life and to never let acting take over your life And that, um, you know, really hit hard for me. And I think through my conversation with her, it definitely inspired me in starting my production company and listening to her and her success through her production company and the many various projects that she's taken on and had her hands in at this point. She clearly took Pacino's advice and ran with it. And I mean, having role models like her to look up to are so, so important.
3: Right. And from directing to Mm -hmm. acting to producing, I could see how you know how this role model not only as you know with you being a woman but me being a creative and both of us being multi-hyphenates it's so fascinating to really learn from someone who decides to embrace what they are passionate about but also to really own and take ownership of what you want to see come to fruition and then you know Thankfully, we have these opportunities to, you know, act in whatever other projects might be calling our attention. But we always have this baby of our own that we're always working toward or working on and wanting to see it take the best shape possible.
1: And she named her production company after her dog. And as a huge dog person myself... I know that Ernie, my little guy over here, is pretty mad at me that it's Pathway Pictures, not Ernest Worthing Pictures, but uh, maybe for the next company.
3: (laughs) But there's the alignment of the W in there, and you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the W, I did that for you, Ernie. (laughs) That's
3: it. Well, let's get into it, shall we?
1: Let's do it. (laughs) So Angela and I actually met at Filmmake Hers, which is an organization that Stacey Capone started. And I would love to just hear a little bit about your background, how you got into filmmaking, where you're located, all of the good, fun stuff. Sure. Um,
2: Well, I started out in this business as an actress. I became a filmmaker because I wanted to see the kind of roles that I wanted to play on the screen and see the kind of stories that I had in my head, showcasing women on the screen and and on your television. So I started writing. I went to, um, and actually a casting director said, why don't you go get... Loose on your feet and check out UCB, you know, try some improv for commercial auditions. So I could kind of jump in there and throw in the funny buttons. And I fell in love with it and I fell in love with writing. So I started taking sketch comedy writing classes there. Uh, and that was sort of the beginning of the end. I was like, Oh, I'm hooked. I've got the filmmaking bug now. And I started directing because I lost my director on a shoot for a project I had written for myself that I was producing he got really, really ill and I had to jump in last minute and it was sort of a means to an end. And now I'm just like, Oh, what a wonderful happy accident because here I am and I love directing and it, it really inspires me every day to do what I do.
3: I love those happy accidents where the universe just kind of pushes us into something that may seem uncomfortable, but is actually quite a natural fit for how you see yourself growing. What were some of the, Surprising things during that journey, or that first uh, director experience that you had that really opened your eyes?
2: That's a good question. Um, things that opened my eyes. No, I'm really into tight frames because I'm so focused on performance with character. And then when I have to pull back and look at the full story, I realize how important it is to create context as a director. So. You, the audience needs to know uh-huh. where you are. They need to know what you're doing. They need to know the environment. And so I've really learned that as much as I like that close up and that intimate portrayal, whether it's comedy, drama, horror, or sci-fi, you really need to let the, the audience know what's going on. And so it's important to kind of grab the wider story arc and scope by getting as much as you can while you're on set and then letting the editor have their, their free will with it at the end. To really, to to make a full story, right? To, to feel like you're immersed in the experience.
3: I love yeah. that, keeping that bird's eye view open and fresh mm-hmm. and like taking into account what the audience needs. That's powerful. Sorry, Lauren, what were you going to say?
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say that I feel like you don't realize how important shot selection is until you're in post production of a process. But like making sure you have the mediums, the wides, and the close-ups because you don't know like whose
2: perspective you're going to need to be in until you're in the editing room. Precisely, and I, when I when I direct, I really try to direct for the edit. So when I create my shot list, I think about frame by frame exactly what I want to see in the final cut. So it is always better to get more as a director, but I have learned that, you know, if you've got it and you don't have final cut, beware that people might use it, right? So really, really be discretionary too, I think about what you're doing and shoot for the edit. Cause a perfect example is there was a recent project I was on and I I knew exactly what I wanted. I got the reactions I wanted. I didn't have final cut. I was a director for hire. And they were like, well, where are these reaction shots? You know, and I was like, we didn't need them. You know, like this, this, this wasn't the POV I was going from, you know, like the strongest POV I found was this POV. Um, and that's why I shot it this way. And so it's so important to have that kind of communication with your writer, with your producer, with your showrunner um, about what their vision is too, down to the nitty gritty, right? Because I can follow the slug lines as much as possible with a writer's script. But at the end of the day, if you've got a shot in mind and you're hiring me to come on board and and make that happen for you, you got to let me know what that is, right? Because you can't always just think that we're going to be on the same page, even if we really do see eye to eye.
3: But then with the shot list, I'm curious, how married are you to it once you're on set and like something spontaneous comes up? And what if you're on a, you know, a time crunch, as I'm sure you always are when you're on set? So how, how do you like give yourself a little freedom or do you allow yourself a little bit of freedom to kind of just like maybe wing it one or two scenes or I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Know. You know, I always make sure we build in time for improvisation because that's where I started in my background. I I tend to hire actors for their strengths. So I know if they're good at that. I know if they like it. I as an actor love it. Um, and I think that you need to leave room for spontaneity. So I used to make fun growing up of, of my mom when she would create a plan and it was so by the book and it would be like scheduled fun. <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck is scheduled <laughs> fun, right? And so for me, I try to be as prepared as possible. I do everything in prep, right, so that we get on set, we get what we need, and then there's room to to grab one or two, right? And inevitably, the happy accidents occur anyway. And so you have to just go with it. You have you really you have to be willing to like let it go, get <laughs> let go and let God, as they say in various programs and in life. And I think it's important, right, because that beauty, that spontaneity, that present moment that we all search for in why we do what we do is going to happen on set. And so you just have to be willing to to throw it all out, to know it, have it in your being, and then just really be present and work with the actors and the crew and and be inspired, right? Be inspired in the moment. That's, that's to me, the beauty of, of all of it.
1: And I'm sure that your producers appreciate, appreciate you for that because... I mean, my worst nightmare as a producer is when my director comes to me and they're like, hey, we're going to add on two more shots here. I'm like, no, you're not. We're making the day today and I will not be having these random shots you've decided
2: that you like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because that's that's hard. Right. Like and then that's the balance of like, okay, well, where's my give and take? Right. Like, where's my shots that I really got to get? Where's the one I'm inspired by? Me and my DP are going, oh, wow, like this lighting, like let's grab this angle. Like this is really going to enhance it. And that's where it's like, let me have that conversation with the producer. Let me say, okay, let me give you this one. If you give me this one, you know, I'll find a way to make it work because yes, it's my job to make the day as well. And we all want to get the best performances, but we also want to get the best film.
1: Yeah, I also remember, Angela, when I first met you, you shared with me some really powerful quotes from some of the legends that you've had the opportunity to work with um, when you were an actor. Because when I first met you, I remember, I think I was contemplating whether or not to go get my MFA in producing. And you told me about how your experience working with some legends really gave you some insight on how you need to have a full life outside of just acting and make sure that you're seeing yourself as a full artist. Would you mind talking a little bit about those experiences that you shared with me? Sure,
2: of course. Those are those are ones I talk about a lot because they really stuck with me. One of them was I got to play Al Pacino's daughter in an indie film called The Humbling that was uh, directed by Barry Levinson. And he was one of my heroes growing up. I mean, everything from Scarface to The Godfather, right? And oddly enough, my great uncle had worked with him in The Godfather. He played one of the heads of the eight families, right? Or five families, eight.
3: The alignment. alignment. (laughs) It shot up
2: in the the turnstile toward the end. And so Mm -hmm. I was just like, if I don't ask this guy everything I've ever wanted to know while I'm on set right now, I'm going to kick myself. So we started chatting it up and I was letting him know about my great uncle and yada yada. And I said to him, so, you know, if you were me right now, like what advice would you give me? And the first thing he said was, get out of the house. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, as an actor, you're always in the house, right? You're waiting for somebody to call. You're, you're not really engaging in the outside world. You're not meeting your community. You're not interacting with the world, creating your own stories, right? Get out of the house, go sit in a cafe and talk to people, go meet people, go to plays, go fill your soul. I said, okay, that's good advice especially after covid and this was prior way prior to covid when he said this to me i'm sure we can all relate where we get stuck in this like rut you know of being home and it's got its pluses we're remote right now but it's minuses are you know that disconnect of the energy of people the interpersonal that we love so much and being on set and the other thing was he said you know have that other thing that really fulfills you artistically because this business is so much about luck And assuming you have the talent and assuming you have the drive, you might get lucky and the timing aligns, but you really don't have a full say over how this goes. So, you know, have that other thing that inspires you. And I said, well, I love to write. I've been writing a lot. He's like, great. Keep doing that. Right? Like, have that other thing that you can go to. And I say, I just spoke on a panel at at Breckenridge Home Festival and I referred back to that because I really feel like as artists, sometimes we can forget to refill our creative well. And so we can go, 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 and kind of then bang our heads against the wall sometimes as to why something's not working or why it's not happening for us or why this one road we're pursuing so hard isn't really panning out. And I think that's when we have to take a step back, relax, take a vacation, go to a museum, go out in nature, go to the beach, do something, anything, sit in a park, meditate, you know, but have have your own life, find those stories that fulfill you um, and find the other artists that inspire you because that's what's really going to take you to the next place and, and keep you sane and happy in this crazy business.
3: <laughs> it is crazy. It's nonstop, but I love the, the fullness of life outside of the characters that we bring to life or the stories that we bring to life that's so so critical I, I find yeah sometimes it does get easy to just get hold up and like focusing on preparing for this project or that project but then the balance of just being present in your surroundings that's uh it's critical at what point did you did you find that that was like really easy for you to uh implement in your life or did it take a little bit to really get into like a consistent pattern of being able to like you know remove yourself from storyteller world and jump into real life
2: i think that that is an ongoing journey for all of us right especially when we're you know Mm -hmm. just starting out or even in your first 10 years of your creative endeavors you can really start to over identify with the role that you're playing in life right and and i think everyone can do that in some way shape or form with their job or their hobbies or their their role is whether it's um a wife a mother um a writer an actor a fill in the blank right How whatever hat you're wearing in that moment and i think i think it's really important to just understand that we are more than what we do every day
3: yeah
1: angela i've also been really excited to tell you that al pacino came to colombia and i remembered you telling me this story so i made a point of it to ask him his advice for up-and-coming actors And his new advice that he's also added, I guess, to his repertoire of advice is to listen because he felt like that young actors now coming up weren't listening enough and felt like they knew more going into it. And he was talking about like the importance of taking in your surroundings and not being afraid to learn
2: and maintaining curiosity within your acting. I think that's really powerful. And I love that you shared that. Thank you. There's a... This book about curiosity that Ron Howard's producing partner Brian wrote and it's very similar in that respect right of, of just always being open always listening it's that right like if you're not curious if you're not open-minded you're not going to be fully available to the stories that come to you and I'm very woo woo so get ready for it it's kind of like you know big magic you know those stories they they point you through the muse right and You might get the idea, but if you don't act on the idea, the story goes to the next vessel, to the next person, right? And to whomever is going to be reciprocating of it. And so there's also a lot of people who have big ideas and don't execute. And so be ready for the idea to pass you by and for someone else to take it. And I think that's why as artists, we can go, oh my God, I had that idea. And you see somebody do it. It's like, well, did you do it? Did you act on it? And, and were you open, right? Like maybe you were shut down or closed-minded or there was something going on in your life that prevented you from doing that at the time. And that's fine. Maybe it wasn't for you. But if you really weren't ready to receive, then that person who is is, is going to take it. Yeah. Oh,
3: I love this. I'm so curious now. Who was this? Who was one of the more influential figures in your life that really opened your eyes to this sort of alchemy and um, ownership of the power that we have?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I think my grandmother, um, she was Hmm. so powerful. She was such an important influence on me in my life when I was younger. She was like my second mother. My mother was disabled and for a few years she couldn't turn her head and she was in bed. And she really, she became such a pillar of strength for me. She really showed me how much perseverance could take us really far in life. And in that interim, I had my grandmother who really believed in me and told me I could do anything. And she had a sixth sense about her. She really was, a magical woman and she had this, this ease about her, this grace in the world. She was funny as f- am I allowed to curse? Because it's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it, it's one of those things where just, you know, she would say, oh, they're talking to me again, you know, and, and I was young. She passed away when I was 13. And I don't know if I ever really fully knew what she meant by that. And my mother told me later, you know, spirits, spirits would talk to her. And I've had these really beautiful experiences where she's come to me, and I've kind of felt her all around me. And I've I've had some really inexplicable things happen um, in the in the world of sixth sense, in the world of premonition, and it, it, even in the world of I woke up three days ago with a song in my head and wrote it down, and I'm about to record it this week because I dreamt it. You know, it's it's these things that if you really stay open and you grounded and present but tapped into the world and the energy around us that's that's where the magic happens and it's a wonderful thing when we can do that yeah
3: the little thing it's a powerful resource to tap into especially with so much going on and with you being an expert of multitasking and being a multi-hyphenate what does it mean to you to be a multi
2: you know, I think being multi-hyphenate means I am so much better at all of my jobs because I understand the jobs of everyone else, right? So it doesn't mean wow. I have to do it all at the same time. It doesn't mean it has to all be me. Thank God. I don't want it to be all me. You know, I love to collaborate. It's one of my favorite things to do. That synergy of hiring a team of experts to come together on set and make something you could never make by yourself is why I do what I do. And what I'm. one of the reasons I love to do what I do and so when i can look at somebody and go i've done that job it's really hard i know what it entails i can not only respect them so much more when i walk on set but i can it's almost like being an actor and being in someone else's shoes and finding empathy for that person's role in the world and their role on set and in your professional life i think it's really important to just understand and value everybody that's around you and when you're very familiar with all of those jobs you can do that a little more easily
1: Can you tell our listeners about when on your journey you decided to start your production company and why and what the process looked like? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, Charlie Bear Productions was created in 2012 in November. I wanted to create my first uh, series television pitch. It was a sizzle for a TV show that I had written. And I was trying to make work that I wanted to, that would facilitate my acting career, but also that. It was just fun and funny. I was getting, I was on soaps at the time. I was being hired to do really fun jobs, but just nothing comedic. So I was, I was writing my way in. Right. And so I, I'm very business minded. Um, my stepfather who raised me, who's adopted me is my inspiration for that. He owned, he's a small business owner. And so I said, I'm going to start my production company. I'm going to research how to create an LLC in New York. I need to have ownership over this. I want to make sure the copyright is there. I want to make sure I do it right. And so I started Charlie Bear Productions. It's the namesake of my dog, Charlie, Charlie Bear. Um, (laughs) He's a one-take wonder. He's (laughs) in all of my films. He's amazing. He's now retired. Don't ask. He's not available. (laughs) But he, uh, yeah, he inspired the name. And uh, we've been around since then. And what inspired me to keep it going was I was listening to... The seven habits of uh mm. habits. Yeah.
3: Stephen
2: beautiful. Stephen Covey,
3: Covey. Thank
2: you. Right. Um, Stephen Covey. And I remember being on the elliptical one day listening to the the C D audio version. <laughs> and and it said, you know, what's your mission statement? And I was like, what is that? You know, what's my mission statement? What's my mission statement in life? What's my business mission statement? Um, you know, they talk about branding a lot, but I think even more importantly is what's your why and that's your mission, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I wanted to tell stories that made people feel less alone in the world. I wanted to tell stories that made a difference and changed perspectives. I wanted to tell, tell stories where women were at the forefront of the conversation and also behind the camera and we were seeing things through their lens. And so that's, that's what really created Charlie Bear and what has kept it going is this focus on unique, diverse stories with a social impact with through a female lens.
3: Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that you spoke about a mission statement. I feel like that's so like a great feature of even having a vision board, mm-hmm. you know, and being as specific as possible. It all comes down to why we're doing what we're doing because if we just get caught up in the rat race or the the gerbil wheel the hamster wheel of just moving forward without any sort of purpose it kind of fades very quickly as far as like momentum that can be built it's true
2: yeah right? and, and when you have this thing that, to always come back to it just helps you hone your focus it makes it really easy to like sift through the clutter um and finding my why yeah. was not simple i make it sound simple because I spent a lot of time doing it and refining it and figuring it out. But once it was there, it was just like, oh, great. You know, now all the millions of scripts that get sent to me, I can easily make it a 10 question list of, you know, does it fulfill these five things that my production company mandates? Is it a Charlie reproduction? production? Is it a project that I want to work on as an actor? That's not a Charlie reproduction, production, right? Like there are other iterations of, of work that I take. I was a director for hire on this recent series, this dramedy that was sponsored by the Bay Area Lime Association. And it fit my mandate for Charlie Bear. It really was a social impact story led by a female voice. It didn't end up being a Charlie Bear production. I was director for hire and I was a producer on it, but I didn't take on the production into my company. But it still made it easy for me to say yes to that project. I liked the writing. I liked the the social impact. I liked the, the why of all of it. Um, And so I think that when you can sift through that pretty quickly, it can make it easy to just say yes. And that's exciting, right? I feel like you
1: bringing up how you discovered your mission statement just makes your film without grace make so much sense. Because I saw that before I knew you at Filmmakers, and obviously I thought it was a beautiful film, and especially with you both acting and producing in it. How do you balance making sure something aligns with your mission statement when you're wearing so many different hats in making the project come alive? Great
2: question. I made sure to hire a line producer on that set. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made to the extent that it actually inspired me to ask her to be my mentor. And I wanted to go be a line producer for other people because I was so grateful for the gift that she gave me on set which is allowing me to do my best work as an actor, take off my producer hat, for the most part, there were things I still had to come in for, right? Like some things are unavoidable, but to really be able to delegate, let go, and do my best work, I needed to hire out. I hired a director. At the time, I could have directed it myself. Would I have gotten as good of a performance out of myself? Probably not, right? I didn't know enough about directing at the time. So grateful for um, Deborah Kampmeyer, who I hired to come on board. I learned a lot from her as a director and, and becoming one, even though I had directed before. And I also gave myself the best opportunity to succeed as an actor, a writer, and a producer. And Veronica Nickel, who very graciously came on board to be the line producer, is just the hardest worker I know. You know she inspires me so much. She produced a little film called Moonlight that you may have seen. She's she's incredible, right? You know, yeah. I, I got lucky, but I also I knew what I was getting with her because she just she walked the walk, right? There's a lot of people who don't walk the walk in this business. And I could very quickly learned that next to the director, the line producer is the hardest working person on set. It's really you are doing all of the the hard work. You're carrying the load. And so I think that that was a really interesting opportunity to, to learn what that job did to, to give someone else a job and then to go and give that gift to other actors afterwards. Also, cause I'm pretty financially savvy, right? I've just always been good with numbers. I really like them. And it's made me a better filmmaker to understand budgets and understand the realities of when I'm writing a script, how much it's going to cost to make it. Right. I'm, I'm not in a business of writing scripts that never get made. It's, it's not good business and frankly, it feels like a waste of my time, <laughs> so, yeah. you know? So maybe some writers yeah. don't care and they just want to write to write and that's a beautiful thing because it's an art and a craft in and of itself, but I love to make moves. So I want to make sure they get made so when I can have that fiscal mind about me, I have a better sense of like, oh, maybe I should cut that scene later or maybe I should write it for this environment mm-hmm. that I already have access to.
1: I love that you said that, and I agree completely, because the film that I made this summer, I was directing and acting, but had a really incredible producer who took off like the nitty gritty from my plate that would have distracted me. And the other thing that I did that I found pivotal in making it work was I hired a casting director who brought on like amazing actors around me, including Jodie Benson, who was the original Little Mermaid, and she played the role of my mom. I hadn't written my character to cry during a scene with them, but because she was so good and listening to Al Pacino, I just listened to her. I cried naturally just from that interaction. And it realized it made me realize that if you are going to take on a project where you're wearing multiple hats, then you better make sure you have the best team around you because you cannot do as great of a job if everybody else isn't working and have the same drive for the project that you do. Yeah. And congratulations, Lauren. I didn't know that. I can't wait to see your film. Thank, you. thank you. I was just telling Alejandro that it's finally coming together. We're um, now just working on color corrections. So, thank I can't yeah. wait to see it. I will.
2: <laughs> thank
3: you. What was the experience like directing Unimaginable?
2: That was really cool. That film came about because I was working with this mental health nonprofit. We were supposed to film a suicide prevention narrative in March of 2020. And we all saw what, what happened there. And so the head of the nonprofit, not one to sit on her hands, said, I want to know what teens are dealing with now. I want to have my summer intern gather a bunch of teenagers to talk to them about what kind of resources we could provide them in our next film, um, or even just create a promo for Glow Media and what we're doing right now um, during this crisis that's unfolding. And I said, great, I'm all about it. She's like, well, you just, you know, jump in and conduct some interviews and and listen and record and then let me know what you think. I said, yeah, sure. And we were gonna apply for a grant with LAUSD. We had just met with them to make a new film. It potentially was going to be an anti-vaping comedy because that was something that teenagers were really needing help with and it's yeah, it still is, right, it still is, <laughs> and that kind of went to the wayside as soon as COVID sort of took the front stage, but what I found was I was so inspired by all of the stories these teens were sharing, they were so open and vulnerable, and I immediately came to Trish outside of it and said, you, this is a documentary, like, we have, we have this story, and it was just the furthest thing from my purview. I mean, I watch docs, but I'm not a huge purveyor of docs and I'm an actor, right? Like I love character and there's pretty strong characters in docs, but for me, I'm I'm looking for performance first and and I'm coming at it from performance first. And so it was the funniest thing when I was all of a sudden pitching her the stock idea and making up a budget and I made a whole deck. I brought it to her and said, you know, can you can you get me this money? Like I think we need to do this and we can film it remotely. It'll be safe. It'll give these kids purpose. It'll give me purpose. And I feel so helpless during this pandemic. I have asthma, I can't be on set, you know, I can't be in a food kitchen where I'd normally like to go and be, you know, helping out. And so she said she brought it to her board. They said yes. And I got to spend a year with these kids, every week talking to them, sending them questions. I sent them filming equipment, they filmed themselves, I would interview them, much like they're doing now, remotely, and then after a year, I went, once it was safe enough, we had a small skeleton crew go to each of their homes. We narrowed it down from 30 to five students between the ages of 17 and 19, and uh, I got to meet them in person. And I felt like, oh my God, like I almost, there was not that big of an age difference. I felt like they were my kids. You know, it was just, we become so close and personal. They really opened up about their mental health during the pandemic and about their personal stories. They invited me into their homes. You know, I met their families. It was really beautiful. And it taught me that documentary is really where filmmaking meets activism. And because my production company is so focused on social impact, I realized how powerful that method of storytelling could be. And so now I feel like it's opened a whole new world for me. I still creatively as an artist, I'm a little more driven by narrative. There's just something about it that's untouched. And and that's probably the actor in me, the director in me that likes to direct acting in actors, um, that likes to create production design, you know, and like really build worlds. But there's something really special about the storytelling element and the potential for change that documentary filmmaking can make. And I I definitely uncovered that with Unimaginable.
3: I love this. Oh, my goodness. And taking it back to that mission statement, that personal mission statement that we have to hold within, I feel that's so beautiful how it just continues to evolve. Do you have more documentary ideas that are percolating in your brain or...
0: Yeah, I
2: do. There's there's a couple that we've been tossing around this year. We've been very lucky to have the ear of the DeNovo Initiative. It is a wonderful group of badass women who sued the federal government and won, and then created a foundation with the money that they won from it to create this initiative called the DeNovo Initiative. And their mission statement or their tagline is storytelling inspires change. So it was really Uh, right in alignment with what I was doing at Charlie Bear and what I was doing with the Glow Media Project with teen mental health literacy. So they came on board and provided us a grant for consulting for the year to help grow the Glow Media Project, to make uh, There Can Be Light, which is my newest film. It's the narrative on suicide prevention. And then also uh, to basically give us an ear toward pursuing other projects. So we've been pursuing one on climate change anxiety in teens. We've been looking at one about reducing the statute of limitations for sexual assault survivors. And there's a, there's a few others as well. They can't really talk about yet, but yeah, we're definitely, definitely pursuing doc stories. It's, it's all about story at this point, right? Like what's the story that hits you over the head, that takes you over, that gets you out of bed every day. And for me, the one I think that can make the most impact.
1: And is there can be light what you've been on the festival circuit for? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, you know, how you've been managing your time, especially with the strikes maybe ending, you know, I want to hear all that. Yeah, it.
2: yeah. It's um there Can Be Light started its festival run in August at the Oscar qualifying Holly Shorts Film Festival. So that was very exciting. I was there, too. We were both there.
3: I was yeah. there,
2: too. Uh- <laughs> I, it. I didn't know I would have had you there at our premiere. It was Sold out, we were in the Alliance of Women Directors block. It was so inspiring to see so many women up on stage together showing their films and three or four directors next to me in that block who I knew very well. And now we're doing the festival circuit together, which is exciting. It's, it was, it's such a beautiful film. It was such a, a blessing to make that film. We are doing grassroots screenings at high schools and getting wonderful, wonderful responses. We just went to Soho Film Festival in New York We were then at D.C. International Shorts in Washington, D.C., and then I just got back from Breckenridge, Colorado at the Breckenridge Film Festival, which is just such a... Okay,
3: country coverage. I mean, (laughs) just a week before that, I came
2: home with a cold. Let's just... I mean, I took all the vitamins, and I still left. Two and a half weeks of of traveling around the world with, you know, five states and two countries, it hit me. (laughs) But it was totally worth it. It's... It's a, it was a really, really great experience to meet so many filmmakers and, and have, hear so many stories about the impact. You know, people really share their, their personal stories when they get touched by yours, which is so special. And we are we're about to announce, I guess I, I could say it now, you'll be the first to know. We haven't made the, made the announcement yet, but we are at the Canberra This Is My Brave Mental Health Film Festival in Australia. So we're international. Oh my God. Which is exciting. And then we will be at Fort Lauderdale Film Festival in Florida in the first week of November. So that's next.
3: Congratulations. That's so cool. Yeah.
2: So are you going to Australia? I'm not going to go to Australia. I ha- that's the one I have to duck out of because I just got the green light on my new film and I've got to jump to work. So we're, we're doing contracts this week and then we're back in. In the studio, I'm doing a, a virtual reality project with musicians from the Foo Fighters. Wow, cool! Wow. So that'll be announced next you week work well. Yeah, we've, I'm just yeah. It's it's sort of like COVID took us into this like hole of creativity and and grief and trauma and like all this stuff brewed and then came out of me and I now I've got all these scripts and I'm just like throwing them at the wall and seeing what sticks. But you know, with the strikes, I couldn't, I couldn't put it out there. So luckily the nonprofit that I work with is not associated with any start companies. Um, we don't sell to the AMPTP. We provide all of our short films free of charge for kids to learn from and anything that I've worked on separately, it's, you know, I'm just writing and as soon as this signing on the dotted line happens, I'll be hitting the pavement, you know, bringing on producers and building financing for my first feature.
3: Yes, it sounds like, you know, keeping busy in the midst of the strikes is really no challenge for you. But for those listeners who might be struggling with either motivation to stay productive or to try and find different ways to be active in the entertainment industry, do you have any advice for what they might be able to tap into or do?
2: Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked that because I didn't have it the whole time. Something that really, (laughs) something that gave me a lot of feels for my soul was being in an acting class in LA. I got on stage at Marjorie Valentine's studio. It's all incredible plays. I cannot tell you I did marriage play by Robert Albee. I discovered this new playwright, or maybe not so new, but new to me, Melissa Ross. She's done some beautiful work uh, in New York. Just wonderful actors that I got to collaborate with. Um, My mentor, the producing director of Love, Victor, Jason Ensler was also in the class. I got to oh. build a stronger relationship with him and he saw my work as an actor and we got to talk about how we would direct the scenes the next day. So sort of twofold, right? It was such a learning experience, but also just, it got me on stage again. and got me pursuing my artistry, which is what, this is just what we need as artists, right? Like, especially during harder times when it's a struggle either financially or in your mental health, that that's really where it's at. Is just like finding your art getting up every day and writing, you know, um, I get up and I write in the morning and then I would get on the picket lines and having that solidarity with my other, um, actors, writers, and and the producers and the casting directors came out and my AWD sisters came out and that kind of solidarity and community really kept me going. So I would definitely suggest get on the picket line and, and just pursue your craft, you know, even if you're just getting up and dancing every day or getting up and singing every day, whatever it is that like gets you moving and, and keeps your head from getting too crowded by all this stuff, you know?
1: Absolutely. I'm curious for you because like, you know, you're balancing being a director for hire an actor for hire a festival run, a production company taking on other projects. How do you prioritize and how do you balance what you're doing?
2: Like in a month, in a day, yeah, yeah. Good question. I have to, I prioritize by what's driving me the most, right? What, what's getting me the most excited at the time, because sometimes there can be a lot going on or, or nothing going on, right? I can have 12 projects and nothing's really going, or I can have three projects and they all have potential for right now. So it's kind of like, well, timing's important. Topic is important. Zeitgeist is important. You know, the the market right now isn't hot for buying, right? So it's kind of like, maybe don't pitch everything you've got right now. Um, listen to the market. That's important. So I think, you know, you've got to be reading the trades. you got to stay tapped into what's going on in the economy. The economy is not doing great. Inflation's high. You know, prices are going to be high. We're going to come out of a strike and all of these crews are going to want to work at the same time and it's going to be just like COVID where... Everyone's gonna be at a cost premium. My prediction is everything will cost 30% more again because you're gonna to have to pay more and we're in inflation, right? So people are trying to make up the money that they lost while they were on strike, Whether and it trickles down to the catering companies, to the locations, right? So I think people just have to be really smart and mindful of, of the industry and the economy that we're in, not just in the artistry and the craft that they're, they're trying to bring to the world.
3: Mm hmm. Oh, speaking of mindfulness, what sort of uh, routines or healthy habits do you swear by to keep yourself grounded and focused? And
2: yeah, definitely. You know, this is something I've been refining for a very long time, but it's really important. It works for me. I get up. I meditate. I do uh, transcendental meditation every morning for 15 or 20 minutes. I answer my East Coast emails <laughs> for my East Coast clients. Then I pop out of bed. I take care of my dogs. And we dance. I dance with my dogs every morning. Today it was Macklemore and we dance. It was great. Oh, <laughs> so nice. I, did a, I did a Tony <laughs> Robbins seminar and they said one of the best things you can do for your body is move your hips in the morning. And for me as a former professional dancer, it just kind of gets the chi going and it gets me happy and loose and not taking myself too seriously. So I dance while I'm making, making the coffee and the dogs are happy. And I have my either green juice or I have a water with lemon every morning before I have anything else just to like kind of cleanse the body out. And then I sit down at my desk and I write and I get that private time just to like have have that clearing, whether it's narrative writing, whether it's creative journaling, my morning pages. On Mondays, it's often my massive to-do list. (laughs) And it clears my head and makes me feel a little... Um, healthier throughout the day. And then I make sure I do some sort of movement. So I have a walking pad now so that I can walk while I'm thinking at my desk. It's been a game changer for me. So if I'm not on the picket lines, I'm on the walking pad or I'm I'm taking a, a walk around the neighborhood just to clear my head and, and get my thoughts going because I do some of my best writing when I'm either walking, doing yoga or swimming. So and if nothing else, if those tails, again get in the shower. <laughs> that's where the mm-hmm. ideas is up.
1: <laughs> I am so
3: clear. This flow of energy does happen to me as well, where it's like I find – I like late-night walks as mm. well, but something about, like, the movement, it's, like, very solitary and meditative. But well, what is this walking block you're talking about? Is this, like, a treadmill?
1: Okay, wait, Alejandro, I – Angela, what I was going to tell you is that <laughs> we have the same routine, essentially. I mean, I guess <laughs> – I'm also meditation, morning pages, take care of the dogs. I need to add in this dancing bit. But my newest addition was a walking pad. And um, my boyfriend also was like, it's a treadmill. Like, it is a walking pad. It doesn't have an incline. It's just a walking pad. But I love it because you can, like, read scripts on it, get all your emails done. And you feel like, you know, you're so productive. I
2: feel like I'm doing three things at once.
1: And you are.
3: Amazing. <laughs>
2: Reading scripts is my biggest thing. A year and a half ago, I got an elliptical um, when it was like pandemic, deep in the pandemic. We had just gotten our new place here in Culver City. And I finally had the space for like a meditation self-tape slash yoga room. And so we got the elliptical in there and I said to myself, I am reading scripts while I'm on this thing. Like, this is why I'm buying this thing so that I can move and I can still be productive. And when I had had to throw the walking pad in there. So this is, this is my big reveal. It's against the wall right now,
3: <laughs> but oh it is, it's,
2: it's so good. And my head, you know, when you're sitting all day, it's terrible for your body. Right. So it was really, it was yeah. really just to like make sure all the juices were still flowing and I'm not killing my back. <laughs> these chairs. I've got like three different chairs in here. One's ergonomic, you know, you got to find the stuff that works
1: i feel like a kid
2: again with it like i'm so excited about my new toy you know i have another (laughs) fun toy that i play with about twice a week it's a rebounder it's so much fun in the morning that was the other suggestion besides moving the hips was to rebound for five minutes in the morning just to get yourself going so that's fun too it's like a trampoline it's a mini trampoline that you have in your house
3: wow it's good
2: times One other question, how long is the dance routine with the dogs? It's only like two minutes. And sometimes they only wanna to go to the chorus. And I'm like, no, if you want your treat, you're gonna have to stay through the whole stuff. <laughs> but inevitably once I do it, I'm still moving. And then the music stays on. And then I'm just kind of dancing around while I'm having my coffee and getting my breakfast ready. And it's, it's a great way to start the day.
1: So
3: cute. Oh, I love it. Oh Tell God. me your
2: tips for the morning, Alejandro. Do you have anything I need to adapt into my routine?
3: Oh, I wish I could tell you. Oh, my goodness. No, I am the worst morning person. So, you know, for me, it's really just like finding my center, often having like a hot tea or something soothing. And then my ability to focus sometimes can be a little scattered. So I do like an abbreviated meditation where, you know, I'll light my palo santo and then I'll do like a tuning fork session and then just like do expressions of gratitude just to kind of like kick the day off. And what I love about the tuning forks is that it just really kind of, I don't know, it adds a nice zing and like just heightens the frequency a little bit. And I I really, I find it practical. I I found out about it randomly like a few months ago. And as soon as I had that conversation with the person who told me about these tuning forks, Went right up to my computer, logged into Amazon and got myself a little set that I I live by it. It's so much fun. Oh my god, what's it. what's yours, Lauren? Yeah. <laughs> it great. yeah. I highly recommend <laughs>
1: Well, it's meditation, morning pages, green juice, walk, feed the dog. Lately my boyfriend just had surgery, so it's also walk and feed yes. the boyfriend, not walk walk, (laughs) but get his ice machine together. But because some of my classes start pretty early with school, I've started meditating and journaling on the subway. And it's actually a nice challenge, you know, like, because there's so many distractions and like craziness happening around you that it does make you have to like stick within your Mm -hmm. bubble. But I feel like I need meditation and journaling before I can interact with anyone. Like I just know I'll be a better person if I have it. So. I need it, regardless if it's on the
2: subway or wherever. When I miss it, I'm kind of like, "Oh gosh, what's happening today?" And that didn't happen actually ever on the trip, which I was really proud of myself for because you know you can lose some of your some of your morning activities when you're traveling. I always had my morning meditation. I missed my afternoon ones sometimes because we would be you know twelve hours out at Tiff all day long. But I will say that. It kept me sane, and it—it's that rejuvenating element. When maybe you can't get that nap in, you can meditate anywhere as long as you're holding onto your purse, girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're good to go. So I was definitely meditating in the middle of like the Hyatt lobby at like 7:30 p.m. one night before a party <laughs> with South by It.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, but <laughs> you
1: gotta do it. So as we are damsels in the DMs, we got to ask, what is the funniest,
2: wildest, most intriguing or inspirational DM that you have ever received? I sent, this, I sent this to one of my mentors the other day just to mess with him. And he was like, geez, women have to deal with so much. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, this is normal. Here we go. Hello, sweetheart. Okay. Heart emoji. Sorry for the manner of approach for intruding in on your privacy. Will you be interested in a weekly allowance of $800 in exchange for your online companionship? Double hurt, double hurt. No sexual intimacy. Now that's weird. Why don't you want to have sex? If you're going to go for it, you may as well go for it.
3: right but what is online companion i would love to know
2: i mean nowadays you can sell photos of your feet for lots of money so online companionship i i don't know and you know the old me would have been like let's see what this guy you know because i love to chase a story, but i just don't have time anymore i don't for the crazies
3: i mean the present me is thinking, sign me up. I mean, I need <laughs> funding for my project. So um, this sounds like a very lucrative you be like, here's my
2: I'll pen, Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Check my bio. The link is all there. <laughs> Go ahead. <No. laughs>
2: yeah, that, that was a good one. Um, acting. Oh, and then, oh you know, it was the strike. So I think what I had said was I'm considering side gigs, but I'm worried this one might violate the digital contracts acting via online companionships to a new business model. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, you my
2: responded? Friend. No, that's what I sent to my mentor <laughs> <laughs> You're a good person I never respond to
1: these oh, kinds no, of things No, I didn't
2: respond I'm not that crazy I mean, Sometimes it's entertaining But no, I don't have time I, I can't entertain myself that way anymore The way I entertain is to send it to my writing group And get a good kick out of it Right. So.
3: The DM of the week asks Would you act in a project That you've also directed?
2: It is called drive Through Confessionals. Uh, Woo-ha-ha, Elizabeth Banks' wet wet work. That's a different topic. Um, (laughs) Her network uh, decided to call it Chicken Confessions. They released it during the pandemic. And it was because we couldn't get on set, right? It was like the second week of COVID. And of course, I had this story that was like not letting go of me, right? I couldn't not do it. So I called my friend, Sarah, who has a red camera, and she loves to just like point and shoot. She's like a run and gun. She's an Oscar nominated documentarian. So like girls, she knows how to get it. And so I said, I have this really funny story about Chick-fil-A that I want to write about how (laughs) they're making people do Hail Marys in the drive through as far as a confession in order to get their chicken nuggets, because there was a whole thing about how they weren't serving people on Sundays. And then there was a whole issue with the LGBTQ community that I was not happy about, but it was this idea of also in COVID, people were doing drive up confessionals at church because people couldn't go to church. So they were literally driving up outside of churches and giving their confession. And I just thought the whole concept was hilarious. So, I directed it from afar, I had her shooting, I acted in it, I held my little Zoom recorder under my chest, inside the car, roll the window down and talk to the the, um, the drive-thru woman. I recorded my friend Chandra doing the voiceover later, playing the drive-thru person. Oh. That was remote and then we couldn't get some of the shots I would like to have gotten as a director because it would have been unsafe. So Sarah couldn't get it in the car with me and shoot over my shoulder, but she was able to stay in the parking lot, kind of run and gun. And we just, we, we bought a lot of chicken nuggets that day.
3: <laughs> Love it. That is so disappointing about Chick-fil-A, too, because it is so good, but like part of my conscience is so unsettled.
2: Yeah, it was unfortunate, but it was ripe for comedy, so I had to do it. Um, And it was good practice, right? (laughs) I I directed the very first thing I did, the one I told you was a, a sizzle reel back in 2012 called The Change. I directed and acted in that. And I did see my performance suffer a little bit because it was my first try, right? So I learned after that. And so I think I think we nailed it on Chicken Confessions. <laughs> you can see it on my Instagram at Angela Cohen. And um, my goal is to direct and act in my first feature, which is going to shoot in Ireland. It's in elevated horror, and it is called No Good Calls Come in the Middle of the Night.
3: Oh, name it and claim it. Yes, I'm excited to see that. <laughs>
2: and oh horror is what's in. So I know that's going to yeah. do well. People are loving yeah. horror, right? It's a it's having a resurgence, it's a comeback.
1: Well, thank Angela, thank you so, so much for being here. It was so lovely getting to hear
2: your story and we really appreciate your time. Thank you. So good to get oh. to know you, Alejandro sure. and Lauren. Can't wait to see your film. Thank you for having me.
3: Thank you so much for coming on. You are such a gem. Oh, my goodness. and an amazing and an admirable storyteller. I can't believe you had the time to squeeze in for this interview, but I'm so happy. You Thank did. you.
2: Thank you. Great to chat with you. <laughs> anywhere where other people should stay up to date with your work other than the Instagram, which you just said? Yes, yes absolutely. Yes, I have two websites. AngelaCohen.com has everything about acting and writing and CharlieBearProductions.com. C-H-A-R-L-E-Y-B-E-A-R Productions.com has everything to do with Charlie Bear Productions and my directing work and all my wonderful clients. And you can reach out to me through either of those websites to get on my newsletter and stay up to date with what's going on. We
3: we will be staying up to date. That's it.
1: All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs.
3: It has been an adventure as always. And please, we are waiting eagerly for your DMs, your voicemails, your letters, any sort of indication to help us share with you insights from experts and leading voices in the industry, whether it be in entertainment or any anyone that, that you wanna see come on the podcast and learn from.
1: Yes, please let us know who you want to have on and what you want to hear from them. And as always, please subscribe, rate and review. That allows us to continue to bring you content on any and all podcast platforms.
3: That's it. Thank you. thank you for joining us. And until next time,
1: it's going down in the DMs.
3: Bye. Bye. (laughs) DMS, DMS, yeah we see them, yeah we read them. DMS, DMS, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please.
1: It's going down in the DMs. Bye.